welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 137. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now we do have another Q&A lined up for you today. So jumping straight into this question that we got on Instagram. By the way, each week we usually do put a poll out on our Instagram stories. So if you aren't following us over at The Bodybuilding Dietitians on Instagram, highly recommend that you do. We post quite a lot of infographics every week and lots of great content. And we put out question polls each week related to this podcast. So make sure to head over there if you do want to get your questions in. So Jack, this first question, it says, what are the effects of steps on fat loss? effects of steps on fat loss so ultimately it contributes to your energy expenditure throughout the day and we know that expending more energy that you consume that'll lead to weight loss and fat loss Mm -hmm. so i think personally in the clients that i've worked with the people that get most out of steps or an increase in steps are those that are usually very very sedentary So let's say we objectively measure their steps and I almost always don't set a step target in the first week because I like to see what they are doing most of the time. Mm. And again, this will really only come down to those clients as well who are potentially trying to lose weight. I'm not as bothered if they're in a calorie surplus unless they're doing a astronomical amount of steps or very very little steps Mm. because there's definitely a middle ground for moving your body for health yeah and it's it's always good to know and it's something that's very easy to know as well it's just wear a pedometer and yeah so let's say someone's doing four thousand steps a day even doubling that bringing that up to eight thousand is going to yield some fairly drastic changes in any energy expenditure whereas someone who's doing fifteen thousand steps a day raising that up to 20, mm. I don't believe that will have as much of an effect. Yeah, it's not, it's not quite the same. And steps will reach a point of diminishing returns at some point or another. <laughs> mm, certainly. And I think for us, we've seen that to be probably above 15,000 mm. is the number that we usually give. Yeah, even for ourselves as well, because I know that I didn't go over 15,000 steps on average during my prep. Mm. What about you? Yeah, I, re- I only incidentally went over 15 where like I would do a lot in the morning mm. and then I would maybe have a busier afternoon. We might go to the shopping center or something and I would do over 15. Yeah, I know. But it wouldn't correlate to more weight loss. Yeah. That, that I would is... just feel a bit more tired. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing as well. Like sometimes when my clients, like they do have a minimum step target, I'm like, hey, I want you to walk at least 10,000 steps a day just so that we can have a target to aim for and we can try to balance things out across the week. Sometimes I actually get people apologizing during their check-ins. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry I went over my step count. <laughs> it's because these people have jobs like they're a nurse on an emergency ward, right? And it's mm. not like you look at your Fitbit and you're like, oh God, sorry, can't attend to you, can't save your life, I've already hit my 10K for the day sort of thing. So there, there certainly are circumstances where you gotta keep moving those feet and keep walking and that's okay. Mm. Yeah, so I think when we look at steps, we should acknowledge the whole metabolism and what comprises the metabolism. So that's essentially your resting metabolic rate, the thermic effect of food, your exercise activity thermogenesis, which is basically intentional exercise, and also non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is more 
incidental forms of activity. Mm. And the interesting thing about steps is that I guess they can be a form of non-intentional exercise, but also intentional exercise as well. So if we were to phrase this, potentially you going about your day as per usual and racking up steps. So let's say you, if you have a busy job or you have to go shopping and you rack up 10,000 steps that way, that would be still non-intentional exercise. Yeah, so non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Mm. So they are certainly unique in that sense, eh? That yeah. they can fall under neat and they can fall under eat as mm. well. So they can be deliberate or non-deliberate. Mm. And I guess when you bring it up quite high, so above the usual amount that you might do, that's when it does become intentional exercise. And ultimately, like it's just a form of any other sort of cardio. It's a form of intentional exercise that expends energy and that contributes to a calorie deficit. Mm -hmm. And the, the plus side of steps in that respect is that they're very low impact and it's, that you can do it across the whole day. You don't need to use a piece of equipment to do them. The downside of them is that it takes a while to accomplish for some people, especially if you have a sedentary job and your lifestyle doesn't really advocate for them. Mm. So potentially other forms of cardio might be more appropriate and convenient for, yeah, for some and people. Yeah, and a hell of a lot more efficient, right? Mm. Like if you're just trying to get your heart rate up, improve your cardiovascular fitness, get your body moving and yeah, burn a certain amount of energy during the day, it might be more feasible to hop on a cardio machine and work at a higher intensity for perhaps half the amount of time compared to racking up 10,000 steps mm. throughout the day. Yeah, I, I do think though that for people who use cardio equipment or have been given cardio protocols by their coaches, for example, like half an hour on the Stairmaster on the, or on the elliptical per day, I think it's still important that they have a minimum step target for the day because mm. what will happen is that your your body will compensate mm. the rest of the day. So if you do half an hour on the treadmill in the morning, then for throughout the rest of the day, you'll naturally be more sedentary and you might even balance out in terms of energy expenditure as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why with our clients, we always just track it, whether or not there's a target or not, just so that you really can understand what's going on and so that you can standardize things. But mm. yeah, it certainly does reach a point where of diminishing returns where Perhaps during a prep, right, if steps are already at 15K per day, but this person clearly needs to keep digging and they have more body fat to lose, it's not like, oh, let's raise your steps up to 18K or 20K. It's like, no, it's probably at a point where we just need to drop food. Mm. Yeah. Or yeah. perhaps add in some higher intensity cardio sort of thing. But it's always going to be context dependent for sure. But yeah, we, we've definitely heard about people having crazy, crazy step targets during during prep. And I'm just like, you know, the, the, it reaches a point where like, what is the point? <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's, it come, becomes a bit redundant mm -hmm. if you're going on a, a marathon walk every day. Yeah, exactly. And again, like, what else are you sacrificing during your day that you could potentially be doing more productively? Like, of course, some people who do work from their phones and stuff, like they might be able to do work while they're walking sort of thing, like take calls or answer emails or go on Instagram and social media and things like that to reply to their audience. But like, it definitely does reach a point where it's like, oh, uh, you probably do need to be doing something else in line with your career. <laughs> mm, yeah. Also, steps, yes, they are a means of energy expenditure, but sometimes I think 
people or perhaps even some coaches, they put too much of an emphasis on clients hitting a step count, right? It's like, oh, your step count is 15K per day, but why were you averaging 14K this week? You know, you got to get your steps up sort of thing. If they're a means of energy expenditure, again, it, it will reach a point where it starts just dipping into your energy availability, of course, and also how much energy you have during the day to give to other areas of your life. And it could start to leading to increased levels of fatigue and it could actually start impairing the quality of your training and your training performance. And we know, especially during a dieting phase, that's your big golden ticket item to retaining your muscle mass. So I just think that there should always be a huge emphasis on quality of training, intensity of training and training performance, arguably above step count. Mm, certainly I would I'll definitely rate training above steps that's for sure yeah so definitely make sure that you are checking in on both Mm. (laughs) all right guys so this next question it's I'm gonna it's a two-part question I'm gonna read out both so it says how do you decide which category you should compete in and should you know which category you should compete in prior to going into prep Great. So was the first part of that, how do you know what category? Yeah. How do you choose? Because we know that bodybuilding now, as it continues to expand as a sport, there's a lot of different categories that you can enter into. Yeah, totally. So I would kind of just start off by looking at the different federations. Every single category is going to be a little bit different across each federation. For example, like ICM bikini versus IFBB bikini. Oh boy. (laughs) Night and day, baby. (laughs) Yeah. So... What, and what what physique are you attracted to the most and what physique do you think uh, your is most relevant for the category? Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're someone who has an incredible amount of muscle mass uh, as a male or a female as well, and you've been training for a long time, you have a lot of muscle density, you're very proportionate between the upper and lower body, like naturally that leans towards figure or bodybuilding. Mm. And basically my answer is what does your physique relate to the most? And that's where a coach can be really helpful in helping you decide that. Yeah, without a doubt, getting that second pair of eyes and getting that second opinion for sure. And you can get opinions from different people as well. But also, I would highly recommend that if you are getting involved in the sport of bodybuilding, that before you ever compete, you attend shows so that you actually see what physiques you're drawn to. And not just the physiques, but also the Federation itself, the atmosphere. Like there's no denying that the atmosphere and the physiques are very different at ICN versus WBFF versus IFBB, which are the top three federations here in Australia. Of course, there's other federations in other countries too, but it's always going to be different. And for example, if you go to a coach and they're like, yes, at this time, you would probably be best suited to ICN bikini, but you really aspire to look like an IFBB bikini girl or an ICN fitness girl, then that's why you would then know, okay, what do I have to do to then look like that sort of competitor? Mm, Totally. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think the second part was about, should you know before you start Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And the answer to that is definitely. And mainly because it comes down to posing and also just having a plan in general, Mm. like the conditioning required for ICN bikini versus ICN fitness is, is night and day different. Mm -hmm. So you knowing is going to be critical. Yeah, absolutely. I think there'd only be a bit of crossover 
probably more so in the male divisions mm-hmm. I would find, especially like in the ICN male divisions. Like yeah. if you're going into IFBB, you kind of know whether or not you're <laughs> going to be an IFBB bodybuilder or a men's physique competitor. <laughs> mm. I would hope, <laughs> you know, if you got some legs under those board shorts or not, or just your structure in general, the size. But I think that in ICN, we see it quite often, especially the males going between different categories like men's physique muscle model men's fitness and even bodybuilding as well classic physique there's a bit of a mixture because that's the thing like especially if it's your very first time competing you get that opportunity to try out different divisions and yes you get the opportunity to try out different federations too like jump in give it a go have that experience and really see where you fall and see where your physique falls but also see where your heart falls as well in that which federation which category do you really want to pursue and then you can go into a solid improvement season and then keep working toward that right Mm. yeah 100 percent Hey guys, just a reminder that we offer coaching services, which you can find on our website by searching The Bodybuilding Dietitians on Google or via the show notes below. We coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. I think that ICN is probably just one of the best federations here in Australia that allows you to really climb the ladder because they have those divisions for males and females that are more the entry-level divisions like they have the icn bikini and then they have the icn men's fitness but then as you build more muscularity over time then respectively you can work your way up into fitness and sports model and figure and heck maybe even bodybuilding one day but then for the males as well as you build more muscle mass over time then you can work yourself up the ranks Mm. yeah i think icn is great like that and i'm not sure if it's fair to everyone to say like oh you can upgrade to fitness from bikini like some people might aspire to that category most of all Uh, especially like men's fitness like some people's genetics might be a limitation in Mm. terms of what category they can pursue Uh, they might have very unfavorable lower body genetics meaning that like they're pretty much indefinitely going to be in men's physique yeah and the beautiful thing is as well is that every single year every single season the competitors are just moving the divisions it just keeps Mm. getting more and more and more competitive so some of the girls who probably did fitness a few years ago in icn they would not hold up in fitness now in ICN, if you know what I mean. So the standard of conditioning in every single level and the standard of muscularity and essentially the standard in general, everyone just keeps raising the bar. Even if you do really well one season and hell, if you earn your pro card, then you're in the pro ranks and you can go up and you can compete against other competitors at that pro level. Or if you just narrowly miss out, Hell, you have to come back even better next time because next season the standard's going to be even higher. So there's no limit to this. Every like everyone is just going to keep getting better and better and better. Mm. Yeah, and that's why I personally look at it as being pro worthy because only one pro can get their pro card. Mm. So if you uh, have a pro worthy physique or aim for a pro worthy physique, that's all that you can do. The rest is out of your hands. It's outside of your control who turns up on the day and who the judges are and what the judges are looking for. So that's kind of my goal for next season is to be pro-worthy. And whether I get a pro card or not, that's not up to me. 
Yeah. Well, it is up to me, but at this, it's also not up to me as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm along the exact same lines, but mm. that's the beautiful thing about ICN as well as that, for example, if you are aspiring to compete in a certain division, like let's say that you're a male and you want to compete in bodybuilding, but you know that your physique is not quite at that level to be competitive in bodybuilding yet, you could start off in something like men's fitness. And then you, over time, you could t- continue to build more muscularity as you work your way into like men's physique and muscle model and classic physique. And then you work yourself all the way up to bodybuilding. But along that entire journey, you don't just have to be watching from the sidelines. You can be competing along the way and actually experiencing that stage too, if that's something that you want to do. And it goes the same for females, right? Start off in bikini, work your way up to sports model and fitness and figure, and maybe do bodybuilding one day as well. Do they have bodybuilding in ICN? Yeah, they do. They've got the female bodybuilding. It's like one of the very first categories that's always on at the start of the first day. Mm. Yeah. It's not a stacked lineup, but hell, it's still there. So this next question says, is there any benefit to eating gluten-free foods if you don't have an intolerance? This is a good question. And by all means, you can consume gluten-free foods if you don't have an intolerance. So Gluten, it is a type of protein, and it's not just found in wheat products. It's also found in things like oats and barley and rye. And it gives the viscosity and the elasticity to those types of products. And it's it's what makes them what they are. It's mm. Gluten is what makes bread bread. When you bite into a bread loaf and it's soft and it's fluffy, ah, oh, thank you, gluten. You are damn good stuff. And that's why, unfortunately... You don't have that same experience when you usually bite into gluten-free products. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever tried a gluten-free product, to be honest. Mm. Well, no, that's the thing you, ha- you have, because gluten's only in foods that contain... Yeah, I know, but I meant a, 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 <laughs> something produced by the food industry to be a gluten substitute. Mm. Yeah, so like a gluten-free cereal. Or bread, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I would agree with all of that. And I think it just shows how warped the nutrition industry or fitness industry or social media is at the moment in saying, in convincing people who aren't gluten-free uh, or who don't have a gluten intolerance that they need to consume mm. gluten-free foods. Yeah, but if you do choose to consume gluten-free foods, you don't just have to consume the mock products like the gluten-free wraps and the gluten-free bread and the gluten-free cereals and stuff like you can consume a bunch of beans and pulses and different types of legumes. And you can also consume a bunch of different types of fruits and vegetables and dairy products and lean meats and heck go for it. Right. But there's a lot of foods out there that don't contain gluten and they're remarkably nutritious. So yes, those yield a host of health benefits. Mm. The same goes for pretty much every other free product. So Mm. like low fat or fat free or lactose-free, or maybe low FODMAP foods. If you don't have any intolerances or allergies, or you're not sensitive to any of those things, then by all means, you you should continue to consume all those types of foods because dietary diversity is really important. Mm-hmm. And we actually did a post on this on our TBD Instagram, and we were like, when you exclude this, you also exclude this. And we gave the example of, when you exclude gluten, when you exclude dairy, when you exclude fruit, you also exclude this. And we then labeled all of the different vitamins and minerals and nutrients that are in those foods when you exclude those foods from your diet. 
Mm. And it's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Granted that some of them will be a bit crossover depending yeah. on other types of food you consume. Mm-hmm. But yeah, food recommendations are there for a reason and the dietary guidelines are not out to get you. Yeah, but as, at the same time, I guess it could potentially increase nutrient variety. So for example, let's say that you chose to exclude some gluten products from your diet. Like let's say that you did choose to exclude wheat-based products from your diet and you were very used to eating wheat-based foods. So you're used to eating bread and you're used to eating cereals and pastas. It might actually force you to broaden your dietary diversity and you might actually start consuming some more pastas that are made from different types of legumes you might start to consume rice you might start to consume different types of fruits and vegetables so maybe in like a roundabout kind of way Mm, potentially (laughs) it's looking on the bright side yeah exactly but hell if you're thinking about taking anything out of your diet uh consult a dietitian So this next question says, I'm coming out of prep and I have lost the ability to feel full. Any tips on how to get this back? Mm, we can both relate to this. Yeah, it's it's a very, very normal feeling mm. indeed. And ultimately it takes time. It takes patience, but really you just got to bite the bullet. And in a controlled manner, you have to regain some body fat to normalize your hunger hormones. Yeah. So that's pretty much the answer in a nutshell. And... Like it's a mixture of physiological and psychological reasons as to why this is happening. So physiologically, you're at a very suboptimal level of body fat, assuming you've made the relevant condition for your category. And as a result of that, like being a low body fat, your, your body is telling you to consume more calories in order to regain body fat and achieve homeostasis or equilibrium, whatever you want to call it. Therefore, whenever you eat something, you're never really going to be truly overly satiated Mm. and your food focus is going to be through the roof. Uh, From a psychological perspective, I think a lot of what influences this is throughout prep, you are used to never being satiated and you've conditioned yourself to eating a lot of food volume and not being satiated or full. And therefore, even when you do regain some body fat, it's going to take a bit of time still to condition yourself out of that. And... It definitely takes practice and after you've done a prep more than once, I can pretty much guarantee you the second or third time, if you do it a second or third time, will be better than the first. And Mm -hmm. I think we can definitely say that for ourselves. Like I was very aggressive, but controlled in putting weight on uh, after my most recent comp because like I was absolutely over the food focus. I was over the low energy, all of that stuff. And I follow that approach of gaining like around five to 10% of my body weight in the first four to six weeks post comp. And it worked really well. Like I recovered quickly. My food focus went down in the first two months or so, and it was very successful. Yeah. I think a huge sign for both of us when was when we were like, man, we don't really feel like we need a rest day roast anymore. Mm. Rest day roast. They only lasted what like, Hey, (laughs) six weeks or something like it's interesting it's actually like an inverted u shape for me at the moment because like if at either end of the spectrum there's rest day roast (laughs) and then in the middle there's no rest day roast so like for me initially i wanted the rest day roast because i was food focused Mm. and then i got to the middle my food focus was diminished but i still enjoyed eating food and therefore i was like yeah i don't want a rest day roast i'd rather just eat my own food yeah but now i'm in that other end of the bell curve where i want the rest day roast because of more diversity (laughs) because it will make me eat more yeah because i'm at that stage now where 
like I have very little food focus. I've been trying to create everything in as little time as possible, <laughs> eat it in as little time as possible, try and reduce the volume by max. And now, now I'm liking different foods because it, it adds more variety. Yeah, Jack has this game that he likes to play of guess how many calories are in that and he'll point to this thing on the kitchen counter that's like this tiny little portion size. <laughs> and I've got to guess somewhere between 1,000 to 2,000 calories or some sort of thing. I'm like, how did you even cook that cake? Like, did you add any water to it? It just, yeah. <laughs> but hell, there's, there's like 250 grams of carbs in it or something. <laughs> yeah. And funnily enough, my compared to some people, my calories still aren't that high. Like they've just hit 4,000 now. Mm-hmm. And there's people there who are consuming like seven, 800 grams of carbs a day. Yeah. Like mine are still at a measly 550 mm-hmm. compared to them. Yeah. But it, it definitely is correlated with body fat levels. Obviously there's a huge psychological component, of course, but really you have to get to that point where your body is at a healthy level of body fat and your energy availability is in a good position. And then it's going to start sending you all of those signs and signals like, Hey, I'm good here. You know, you can give your attentional focus to other things other than food. I know I'm going to eat soon. Like Mm. it's going to be all right. And I will say this is different to uncontrolled periods of eating, like binge eating. That's kind of a different story altogether. Mm -hmm. And so if you're having uncontrolled periods of eating whilst being really full and stuffed, Mm -hmm. that's, we're not really talking about that at the moment. We're talking about that's purely down that psychological route. Mm. Yeah, which we won't really touch on that right now. No, well, it's outside our scope, right? Like you need to seek out an eating disorder psychologist. Mm, 100%. Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular informative content on both our Instagram and YouTube channel. So make sure to go over to those platforms and search The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there. Cool, so I think another one to two questions that we could answer. This one says... Did you ever feel nervous or anxious about starting a PT business? That was Ooh. to quote the question asker directly. All right. Well, the great thing is, is that we did start off as personal trainers initially. Mm. Like that was one of our first accreditations that we actually got while we were undergoing our exercise nutrition science bachelor degree. So that kind of got us into the industry. We started working at UQ Sport as PTs on the gym floor, right? To gain that experience working from with clients. But then as we got our bachelor degree, as we got our master's degree in dietetics, branched out into our own business itself, it was such a natural transition. I feel like we both built up a lot of confidence over those years being able to practice our skills that I wasn't nervous, man. I was freaking excited. Mm, Yeah. I think just to clue people in, we never had a PT business. We Mm. worked for UQ Sport. So at the University of Queensland, they have their own fitness center. We both worked Tierra more so than me, but during our stint at uni, we both worked for UK mm-hmm. Sport, doing some personal training. And then we transitioned. We literally went from that purely to online coaching and dietetics as soon as we graduated. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we haven't looked back since. And I think the reason why we didn't get nervous was just because like, we tried working for other people at UQ Sport, in hospital placement, in our other jobs as well. It's not our cup of tea. No. Uh, We work on our own time and we get things done efficiently and collaboratively. Yeah. We can depend on one another. There's, Mm. there's not many other people I've met in my life that I can truly depend on in a business sense. Yeah. We both have our strengths and weaknesses Mm -hmm. as well. So (laughs) they kind of pair up nicely. 
<laughs> and yeah, that, that kind of wraps up that question, I think. Like yeah. not too much else to discuss, but it definitely was a learning curve at times to like set up the website. How are we going to structure coaching? How much are we going to charge? How are we going to track our income and expenses and all that kind of stuff? Dude, we're still learning things every single day. Yeah. Hey, like when, when you have a small business, again, you never reach a point at any point in life where you're like, I know it all. Because what would be the fun in that? Like, can you imagine having a conversation with someone and you know everything that they're going to say, right? Like mm. that wouldn't be a very fun conversation. You wouldn't learn anything. Yeah. But yeah, it definitely, we weren't nervous. I think we were just more excited. But again, it was because we just had those years of being able to practice our skills and having that experience under our belt and really just having that time to really, really identify that, we want to work for ourselves. We don't want to work for someone else. Right. And just having that self-belief and that confidence and also having this platform, this podcast platform, we started this podcast when we were still in our first year of dietetics, like eight months before we actually graduated. So we had, we're, we started that early to get our names out there and start helping people and collaborating with people and having a platform and a basis and then just stemmed off from there. Right. And I still feel like we're still in the early days. We've had yeah. this podcast for almost three years, but I still feel like we're still in the very early stages of our business for where it's going to be in like 20 to 30 <laughs> years from now, man. Yeah. I've, it's weird to think what's going to happen, like whether we'll, I don't know, like whether we'll introduce other services or introduce other dietitians on the team mm -hmm. like that. I think that's something that we've obviously chatted about and I think it would be neat. It would add another person to the dynamic who can produce content and take on clients, of course. Yeah. But, but again, they have to be the perfect fit, mm. right? Because I feel like you and I, we've got such a special bond and just very unique in that sense. But to hire another bodybuilding dietitian, I would need to find someone out there in this world. I'm sure they're out there. If you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, please reach out, slide into the TBD DMs. <laughs> but, Saying what though? Are we going to hire them? <laughs> no, no, just be like, hey, I'm a dietitian and I'm hella passionate about bodybuilding. <laughs> so yeah, tell us your name. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll keep you in mind. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap up for this podcast. Mm. So we'll finish on... One thing that we learned this week. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to go first. Okay. What do you learn? Cool. So this week on TBD, I'm trying to ask a few more questions. Well, both of us are. So whenever we put out a post, we're trying to ask some questions around that post before we post it. And one of them this week was on protein. And around that, I kind of was just asking like, do you track your macros or calories? Do you, how much protein do you consume? Stuff like that. And the one I'm going to focus on now is like, we have about 7,300 or something followers on Instagram and quite a few people answered that poll in terms of, do you track macros or calories? And it was like 91% of people track their, track their macros, wow. which is pretty crazy. And that was really valuable for, for me to know in particular when producing content, because I think it can get be easy to get bogged down into like, oh, do you, what style of content should we produce to try and make it applicable for everyone? Yeah. Like who is our audience? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes I'm not going to lie. Like sometimes we steer away from stuff like, oh, tracking macros, tracking calories, because 
it might not be relevant for some people, but mm. literally 91% of people who answered that poll track macros. So yeah. I think it's important for us to recognize that compared to other nutrition accounts or dietetic accounts where like the vast majority of people don't, they might not have even, even know what track macros yeah, what's are. What's a macro? Yeah. So that was quite eye-opening. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm so glad because we have an audience base and we have this community of people who are semi like us, which is mm. a wonderful thing, which means that we've been able to attract like-minded people, which mm. is a great thing. Like we, on our Instagram in particularly, we have that niche, which is a really great thing because I know that I've definitely been in situations where I feel like, oh, I'm kind of treading on eggshells here, you know, like, do I want to, I want to appeal to everybody, but... I don't know if my head is in that space of, you know, the definition of intuitive eating and the anti-diet culture and stuff like that. Like you never want to offend anyone, Mm. but also you want to, you want to stay true to your gut too. Totally. Cool. Well, that's what I learned. What did you learn? Well, I learned something from all of the peeps over on Instagram this week too. Quite a few hundred of them. I went to the dentist at the earlier uh, days of this week on Tuesday and I was waiting and I put out a poll on my Instagram because I was like, hmm, this this is, I find this quite curious. I want to know what other people do because every time that I go to the dentist, I just routinely brush my teeth before I go to the dentist because I don't know, I, I want to show that, yes, I care about my dental hygiene. I don't want to have super stinky breath in front of the dentist or have, you know, a piece of kale between my teeth or something like that. So I always brush my teeth before I go to the dentist, but I'm like, man, I'm going for a dental checkup and they're going to be washing my mouth and cleaning all around those teeth and stuff. So like, is what I'm doing here a bit redundant? Because like, obviously I'm not going to do nearly as good of a job as they are. So like, should I bother? But I still bother. But I wanted to know, what do you guys do? So I asked other people, I was like, do you guys brush your teeth before you go to the dentist? Or do you not bother because they're going to do it during the checkup anyway? Turns it's a out, very interesting piece right there. <laughs> well, in, what did it, does it not make you think? Um, it's kind of mm. like, oh, I have a meeting with my dietitian today, so I better make sure I eat my fruit and vegetables. Or I'm going to see the physiotherapist, so I better do my exercises, do my exercises or something like that, right? But they're going to be taking me through the exercise session anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Y- you get what I mean. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah. Anyway, turns out that quite a few hundred people out there on the net they like to brush their teeth too before they see the dentist Mm. if there's any dentists listening to this i'd like to know as well do you appreciate that yeah i know oh one dentist who listens to this really yeah man well i was actually thinking it would actually be really cool to interview a dentist on the show Mm. and actually talk about dental hygiene and how nutrition plays in with just your teeth and the health of your mouth and obviously like your mouth bacteria and everything Mm. like that it would actually be really neat yeah i mean yeah let's do that if you're a dentist listening then let us know if you'd like to be interviewed yeah that'd be pretty cool yeah i want to know does toothpaste does that influence the gut microbiome well i'm not sure if they would know that and what percentage of toothpaste does the average person swallow Mm. Mm. or about i wonder if they know much about like salivary amylase or uh, lipase yeah in the saliva and that'd stuff. be cool as well mm-hmm. mm. and mastication of course yeah all the things to do with the mouth <laughs> yep. but have some nutritional background too <laughs> mm-hmm. 
All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. If you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag TBD. If you're feeling friendly, please feel free to leave us a review and a rating on whatever podcast app you're listening to. And we'll catch you next week.